0: Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week seven, day five of our study of Joshua. I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and today we're talking about Joshua 17, 12 through 18. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray today? Lord, open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us. Fascinate us with your word. God, help us to consume it and hide it away in our hearts. Like David says in Psalm 1, we would be counted with the righteous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's Word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Joshua 17, starting at verse 12. Yet the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. Uh, So this is going back, alluded to this, but uh going back to yesterday the end of yesterday's broadcast talked about going to the map here this region right here the it technically belonged to the tribe of Asher but Manasseh had most of the villages in that area but complicating that even further the tribe of Manasseh and Asher none of them up to the point when this is the final edit is done on us. None of them occupied any of those towns anyway. So they were given those as an allotment, but they didn't take them presumably until David comes along. Not exactly sure. We know by the time David comes along that they do occupy these things. But even still, you know, there's parts um, of this other map here where we know up in here, Tyre, Sidon, Biblos right here, Um, we know that those were given to the Israelites and they didn't occupy those either. And those don't even compute into the allotment of these lands. And so we need to understand that the promises of God, and let's go back to this map here. This is the promise of God. This is the land that was promised to Israel. This is the land logistically that was mostly conquered and occupied by the Israelites. But even this is very dynamic. There's a lot of occupation going on over here and then kind of down through the central part of this. But a lot of the land... So this is getting really messy. A lot of the land here on the west coast along the Mediterranean, the Israelites were not able to subdue. And then all of the Philistine land down here, they were not able to conquer until the time of really Saul and David. And so this is a very dynamic thing that's going on here. They've been promised a lot of land. They take a lot of land, probably most of the land, but not all of the land. There's a lot of walled cities. And then on top of that, we know from the time of the judges, we know in the intervening periods between Joshua and judges and what's going on, that there were towns that they took and then lost. Uh, Jerusalem being one of those, actually. And, and there's other places where they, you know, Kind of went back and forth several times. Reminds me of uh, the city of Atlanta during the Civil War. Uh, eventually, right, the the Union Army came through Atlanta and burned it to the ground. Just burned the whole thing to the ground. But in the conflict, as they're going through there, um, the the lines of of. Who controlled what part of Atlanta and where, that kind of battle line? It moved back and forth several times. Mm-hmm. And there was one particular house, one giant plantation house in the city of Atlanta that kind of changed hands several times. And it was a big, big, I guess, beautiful house. Uh, It was famous for this, that uh, both the Union Army and the Rebel Army kind of occupied this and used it as a bit of a staging ground for some troops and for some operations. And there was a big central hallway, kind of a breezeway, like a lot of houses had. And in there, someone had graffitied the wall and said that God is on the side of the north when they took the house. And then when the south took the house back from the north, they came through and they scratched it out and said, God is on the side of the south. They scratched out north and put south. And then the northern army, the union army came back and took the house again and scratched it out south. So it's, "You know, north. And so it says, you know, God is on the side of the north. No, south. No, north. Right. It's like it's going back and forth. And there's a little bit of that back and forth going on. This is an active military conflict that essentially is going to last. For 400 plus years, for, for over 400 years, the Israelites are going to be in a constant struggle with the remaining Canaanite rulers, including the, the Philistines, which we've already talked about. They're not actually Canaanites, but they're kind of like lumped in since that was all part of the original promised land. And so it's this back and forth, this struggle and part of the struggle, part of the back and forth also is, is chronologued in the book of Judges, where it's the people of Israel, they serve the Lord with all their heart. The Lord is is moving things forward on their behalf, blessing them. And then a generation passes and they forget the Lord and they start worshiping other gods and turn away from the Lord and start doing all sorts of things that Moses told them not to do or the Lord would bring Uh, Judgment on them to correct them and bring them back to him. During that time period where they turn away from the Lord, the Lord allows these other nations, these other peoples to kind of raise up and then have dominion over the Israelites. They oppress them. They do terrible things like put out their right eyes. They do just all sorts of terrible things. And then the people are like, oh, my gosh, we're under such oppression. Now we remember we serve the Lord, not these other gods. And put the other gods away, repent, turn back to the Lord. The Lord sends them a judge who is not just a military leader, but also a judge over Israel. But but the, the best part for the Israelites at that time is they become a military leader. They vanquish all of the enemies And the Israelites have peace and prosperity again. They're back on top of the heap. And then the cycle continues. You know, prosperity, turn away from the Lord, get oppressed, cry out to the Lord, repent, turn back to the Lord. Um, Lord raises up a judge, vanquishes the enemies, peace, prosperity, and the cycle continues. And so that's one of the reasons why it was this such a dynamic situation for 400 years and actually for the rest of Israel's history. Actually, it's just a very dynamic situation. I would be interested to know what the longest period of Israel's history where there there wasn't a dynamic moving of the borders. My guess is it was the last half of David's reign through the end of Solomon's reign. It's probably the longest period in Israel's history from then until now where the borders aren't constantly moving. But Who knows? All right. Continuing on verse four, uh, actually verse 12. Uh, yet the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. Verse 13. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. Again, this goes back to some of the things that the Canaanite Kings were complaining about in the Amarna letters that we saw is that, Hey, I've, I'm holding the city. Pharaoh, I'm holding the city for you. Like, you put me here to defend the city, but I need your help. I need some archers. I need all this stuff, but at least I'm holding the city. But I've lost everything else. I've lost the surrounding countryside, and they're submitting everyone to forced labor. Like, come and help me, or they're going to kill me and take everyone else for forced labor. Do something. So we see uh, very similar things going on through what the scripture here is defining for us and what we see in extra-biblical texts that we have access to. Verse 13, or verse 14. The people of Joseph said to Joshua, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. If you are so, they're they're complaining that, hey, you haven't given us enough land. And when we look at the map, we realize that the Lord has given them the most land, right? They've given them all of this. That's the tribe of Joseph It is uh, way more land than anybody else, really including Judah. You could probably make the argument that Judah didn't, got maybe a little bit more, but I'm not so sure. And so they're complaining to Joshua, hey, you didn't give us enough land. Verse 15, if you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and Rephaites. The people of Joseph replied, The hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the plain have chariots fitted with iron, both those in Shan and its settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. So here they're saying it's not enough for us, but we don't want to go there because it's going to be hard. And we don't want to dislodge those people because they've got walled cities and chariots and iron and armor and... You know, Joshua, it's, it's tough. We don't want to do it. You know, it's like you hear this whiny voice coming out of them. And, uh, and so what they're saying essentially is like, give us some other land that's easy. Like maybe take some land away from some of the other tribes that we've already conquered and give that to us. And w- w- the picture that we see is that Joshua conquers essentially all of the land to where each of the tribes can kind of settle into their places, but he doesn't conquer everything in the land. There's all of these villages and cities that have been left behind for the Israelites to take progressively. And the, the, the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, they're like, we don't want to do that. Just give us some easy land. Give us some of the easy land we've already conquered. And Joshua's not having it. Verse 17, but Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. You will not only have one allotment, but the forest and hill country as well. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. The Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. This is the same Joshua that, when he was a spy forty years earlier, forty-five plus years earlier, he's like, Yeah, they're big. Yeah, they're powerful. Yeah, they're strong. But we can do this. We can do this, guys. And because the Israelites didn't listen to him, they wandered for 40 years. And I imagine, you know, the subtext here is Joshua saying, remember how I said this 45 years ago, don't, don't push back on the Lord on this. Go and do this. Don't ask for the easy land. Go take what the Lord has put before you. Take that. That's your job, but you trust him in taking it. And, and you have to wonder, right? I mean, like this is so common, so human nature, but they've just seen supernatural things like the walls of Jericho fall down. They've seen the sun stand still and they've seen the hailstorm. They killed more people than the Israelites did. All of those things, the Lord is supernaturally working on their behalf. And they're like, eh, we don't really want to do this. We want the easy land. And Joshua's like, don't, don't you ask for the easy land. You can have more land. You've got, there's way more land. Go and take it. And I, I think about Caleb, right? Mm-hmm. It was just Joshua and Caleb. They're like, we can do this 45 years earlier. And Caleb comes to Joshua and he's like, hey, uh, remember how you promised me, you know, the region of Hebron and all of that? We haven't taken it yet. Uh, can I go take I want, I want to go take it now. Mm-hmm. And Joshua's like, yeah, sure. So it doesn't say that all Israel went with Caleb to take Hebron. I'm sure like he took a formidable force of the people of Judah, but he doesn't take everybody with him. He's like, okay, I'm going to go take it. And he just goes and he takes Hebron because the Lord is with them. The Lord is with them in this fight. And the people of Ephraim and Manasseh, they're wanting to fight this battle in their own power. And they're like, we can't do anything with chariots and armor and all this kind of stuff. And I always think about David's psalm, you know, some may trust in horses and some in chariots. But we will trust in the Lord our God. Right? We like whatever that thing is that's in front of us, whatever the the foe, whatever the obstacle, it it's nothing to God. It's absolutely nothing. And, you know, I'm not one to to like try and over-spiritualize too many things. You know, I always think about uh the movie the three amigos where um you know one of the characters is is explaining to them that you know the the bad guy in the movie his name is el guapo and he's this big you know kind of gangster warlord who's taken over the region and <clears throat> He's telling them, you know, we all have an El Guapo in our lives. For some of us, it might be shyness. For others, it might be a lack of education. But for you, it happens to be the real El Guapo who wants to murder all of you. You know, it's, it's like sometimes I don't know that we can over-spiritualize these things. But with this, we, we can apply this to everything in our life, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, literally people that we are in life and death, death conflict with as in the cases of El Guapo and the Israelites, these are our every single thing, biggest to smallest, small anxieties, small things going on in our lives. The Lord, it's nothing for him. If we will just trust and lean into him, this is one of those things that can be over-spiritualized to the smallest minute detail. The Lord cares about those things. And if we trust in him, he will like he will guide and lead us if we will just rest in him in that. And what I mean is not that we don't ever have to do anything, but that we don't let our anxieties and our you know those things stress us out, worry, overcome us with that. That's what I mean by resting in the Lord. Like watching him come to fight on our behalf in every little thing he really can and he really will. The 10 Week Bible Study. I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10 Week Bible Study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.